Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. The show that comes to you once a week, recapping the Hollywood week that was and getting you ready for the Holly Weird Week to come. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly. Hashtag MMO Weekly. Hashtag MMOW. I am your co host, Mike One. This is co host also, Mike. So I guess I'm giving weather reports at the beginning of all our episodes now. <laughs> MMO Weather. MMOW stands for MMO Weather right, People. Yeah. And. It looks like an animated Disney film outside today. I don't know how it is this beautiful, but last time we recorded, Mike, it looked like the end of Magnolia, and today <laughs> is just the birds are chirping. I feel like Belle is just going to start, you know, that's when I know I'm crazy, if I start seeing animated Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Like, there he goes, that Mike is strange, but special. <laughs> I mean, I'm on my deck this morning, and I thought that that was going to happen. Like, I'm on my de- deck with the laptop, and where is uh, where's Bambi? I hate this part of the country so much. I am so sick of these games because it's, it, this is what it's been doing lately too. Like even in March, April, we'll have one nice day and then it'll be followed by eight weeks of rainfall. Like the groundhog <laughs> saw its shadow or some shit. And it's, it goes from hail the other day, two days later. Now it's perfect sunshiny weather tomorrow. It's going to be 80 up in this part of the country. Mm-hmm. And that's way too hot for a, a fat boy like me with giant sweat glands i can't take it anymore just give me consent i need some aspect of my life to be consistent and i don't think asking the weather to do that is too much but apparently living in new england it is so you you would rather like live in uh, great britain where it rains every day than have the the crazy weather every day <laughs> yes is what you're yes. saying just give me consistency and maybe i can pen some songs and become a rock cult hit like <laughs> kurt cobain was living in the seattle rainstorms but uh, i guess uh, the weather is one thing but as as volatile as the weather has been hollywood has been just as volatile in dealing with the coronavirus and dealing with quarantine and we have news and information like we do uh, always on mmow this is our weekly trip around the Hollywoods, we take a look at the bigger industry news, the bigger blockbuster news, uh, the less Oscar-centric and award-centric, award-season-centric news that we save for our weekly news show that is just on Oscars and award-season news. That is Oscar Race Checkpoint. This is MMOW. We take a broader look at entertainment going on, and we start, Michael, today by talking about what we're watching. Yeah, it's what we're watching. And there Mike, we go. We are both watching The Last Dance. First question, did this you know, two-parter make you emotional at any point. Yeah. I mean, these were the two best episodes by far in a lot of ways, and part of that was definitely the uh, the emotional investment that I felt. And I think every athlete and anyone who's ever, like, had a catch with their father probably felt. Yeah, I felt like I was living in Field of Dreams during this episode. <laughs> this was unbelievable. Like, I'm just like... <laughs> Just holding it back uh, several times. And it wasn't just during the, you know, Michael Jordan's father moments. It was during the train. The trainer was choking up. And I was just like, yeah, if you start crying, bro, I'm going to start crying too, bro. You can't do this to me, bro. I know he works out the day after he loses a playoff series. Now I know. And that, yeah, that's making me cry too, bro. (laughs) We got a lot in these episodes too. And you were touching on it, but. I'm glad they went in deep about the baseball retirement. 
I'm yeah. glad they addressed head on the rumors about him being suspended and gambling. And I like David Stern putting on a blunt face. I don't buy any of it. I still think he was probably. No, I don't. I, I, I'd never really have. But I'm glad that was addressed and not just hinted at and like pussyfooted around. So the last two weeks have been very therapeutic for me because all of the conspiracy theories out there, whether it's coronavirus related, because I was talking <laughs> to people about that, especially over Mother's Day, right? Whether it's Bigfoot, like I no longer believe in Bigfoot. And now I, I no longer believe in this Michael Jordan gambling conspiracy theory that he, this was all just a big suspension and he wanted right. to play baseball. No, I it definitely seems, and I'm going to talk about Natalie Wood in a minute, but it definitely seems like... There were all these conspiracy theories, you know, just spiraling out of control. And this episode kind of put them to rest, I thought. I thought David Daniel Stern, Daniel Stern, Daniel Stern is an entirely different person. Great commissioner. (laughs) David Stern, (laughs) not Daniel Stern, came out and said that, uh, like, this is preposterous. And then he sold me on it. He looked me in the eye and, and made me believe. I would believe it more. I still don't believe he was suspended for that. But David Stern is uh, has was known in his time for being just a ruthless businessman. Yeah. <laughs> and he was very capable of looking people in the eye and maybe not telling the truth. So all, I, I think that all adds to the lore of Michael Jordan anyway. And no, I don't really believe he was suspended. And I'm glad they did address it. And David Stern was very honest with us. I think that's all true. But it's still nice to just fantasize about. And that's the kind of the allure of conspiracy theories anyway, right? Yeah, I, I've watched these episodes three times a piece, though. I mean, they're that good. Yeah, they are. I, I just think, you know, once the story got back to Michael Jordan, focused on Michael Jordan, stayed with Michael Jordan, th- it reached another level over the last three episodes, I'd say, because the gambling stuff, you know, worked in into the last two. But obviously, he, you know, going to baseball, coming back. And, and oh, my God, just the drama, the natural drama in what actually happened. This is why you make documentaries and they're they're just doing a stupendous job with this series. It should win every single Emmy and Golden Globe or whatever it's available <laughs> for in terms of awards time. The Last Dance and, and, and all these filmmakers should win it. Imagine being Gary Payton, who's one of like the 35 best players in NBA history, maybe top 50, whatever he is. And like being so sure of yourself that you shut down Michael Jordan for one game in the finals and talking shit like Michael Jordan evaluating other NBA players talking shit about him should be its own series. He's emasculated Isaiah Thomas. He's now emasculated Gary Payton just laughing in his face about GP, who was one of the greatest defensive players of all time, thinking he actually had an effect on Michael Jordan's finals in the 1996 season. I I would pay to see just hours of that. Michael Jordan Viewing YouTube videos, essentially, of players talking about him and then telling them why they were wrong. And don't forget about LeBradford Smith. Yes. We just learned about (laughs) the losers of this series. I agree. Charles Smith still. (laughs) LeBradford Smith. And then uh, Isaiah Thomas and Gary Payton as of this point. Is Scottie Pippen a loser uh, throughout this series right now? Because he's coming off looking like uh, a complete just jerk for for keeping himself out of that game i mean he's so lucky tony kukoc hit that shot my yeah God. that's been one of the more famous stories in nba circles i will say for as like maybe too nice as scotty pippen is coming off the big winner or another big winner in this might be scott burrell for all the facetime and camera that's time right. he's getting a yukon legend up in our uh, neck of the woods we've always known about scott burrell but i don't know that he's that well known on a national level but i think he's coming out smelling like roses in this thing 
He's the one guy who could take all of MJ's <laughs> ribbing throughout two seasons to the point where they're still friends. Yeah, that's wild. And and Michael Jordan, I think, uh, hired him as a as a ball player for the Bobcats when they were still the Bobcats in like two thousand something. So. I guess that, yeah, that relationship seems very strong. <laughs> Mike, uh, we're going to get more ESPN 30 for 30s. We got Lance Armstrong, Bruce Lee. Sam I Sosa can't wait for the Lance Armstrong thing, man. I think that is a fascinating documentary because we've already had the teardown of this man over the years, and now we're getting his side of what happened. He's been very honest ever since the co- the cover's been pulled back on what he did and mm-hmm. he's cheating. He's been very blunt about being dishonest, so I'm hoping we get that kind of seriousness and authenticity in this as well. However, I worry that I've watched too much of it already. I've already seen multiple docs right. on Lance Armstrong and plus that movie with Ben Foster, so... Yeah, hopefully they give us something new. But I'm I'm pretty happy that after the last dance is over and I can't get enough of it and I'm going to be upset when it's gone, at least we're getting 30 for 30s the next few Sunday nights. So smart. Sunday night viewing for me is going to be this. Yeah, it's very smart. I think ESPN is kind of capitalizing on that and taking the idea of appointment viewing and appointment television and trying to inject it. There is a wide opening right now on Sundays in everyone's viewing schedule. So uh, I think that for sports fans like you and I, this will more than suffice. Yeah, we got something to watch every Sunday now. In terms of Saturdays, there's definitely an opening opening on Saturdays. <laughs> I watched Saturday Night Live at home, the season finale. This was as hit, as hit and miss as they've been. I don't know if they tried to do it two weeks in a row. I, I don't remember if they skipped a week. I don't think they did this time. They tried to do two weeks in a row to finish it up. Other than like a Melissa Villasenor pretend dating sketch, which mm-hmm. might have been the funniest thing they've ever done. <laughs> Mike, it, was, it reminded me of Rear Window when Miss Lonely Hearts is having the fake date and talking to nobody. It was so goddamn funny. I watched that on YouTube, so I don't even know if it was in this episode, so people can correct me if I'm wrong. I shut this episode off on Hulu after like 15 minutes. I could not stand wow. it. Wow. So, rare negative review to start off my What We're Watching. It's SNL Live at Home. I think they need a break. It was it sucked. Wow, that's heavy words. I didn't watch any of this other than the first moments of the opening sketch. I saw the, you know, the, the Kristen Alec, Wiig stuff. Yeah, yeah. Alec Baldwin doing the. Was was this the week that he did the injecting bleach with the Trump? Was that? Yeah, this that's week right. right. So, so the, yeah, the openings. So, yeah. The opening sketch was Alec Baldwin for the fake graduation. It was just, it was kind of mean, and usually they're not that mean. It was mean to everybody, so I guess that does, that's when it doesn't work. Michael Schur should uh, get on their writing staff, I think. <laughs> uh, speaking of mean, though, I watched UFC 249. Uh, we had 11 fights on the card. Six of them were tremendous, and the last four fights, Mike, were just like... Each, each of them delivered something crazy. Francis Ngannou, who's this bigger-than-Brock-Lesnar type guy, is just a knockout artist, and he, I can't believe he knocked out his guy so fast. Then you had uh, a couple other crazy fights uh, within the card, and, and, and they all built up to the biggest one at the end with Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. This Tony Ferguson guy needs to be the villain in horror movies, Mike. He is the shape. He is Michael Myers. He cannot be killed. He cannot be knocked out. They broke his face. Literally, Justin Gaethje hit him so many times square in the face that at the end he broke his face and all he did was shake his nose a little bit. And the referee saw it and was like, oh, that's a broken face. Stop the fight from there. But he still wanted to keep going, this guy. He's unreal. I mean, was he on meth? Was he on drugs well, going the into thing. the fight? Like, is it toughness or stupidity at that point? But, oh, no, those guys are certainly uh, tougher than any of us could ever hope to be. My God. So I've heard a lot of good things about the fights themselves, and I heard it was a great card. 
Before the card went forward, though, Ronaldo Souza was pulled from it. He was supposed to fight, I guess, uh, who was it, Uriah Faber or Uriah Hall, I think. He was okay. supposed to fight Uriah Hall. He got pulled because he was tested positive for corona. I had a problem with the card going forward if one of their fighters was tested positive and had to be pulled. Because well, do you in... know about their, uh, their quarantine before that? Were they all in the same spot? I don't know that, and I'm sure they were separated. And the, the New York Times actually just came out today with a uh, uh, kind of a criticism on how UFC has been handling their testing going forward. I haven't read the whole thing, uh, but look, mixed martial arts and professional wrestling, and if these guys aren't being tested like continuously, like at the level that the president is, I don't think they should go forward. That's my take. But at the same time, if they are being tested continuously, why aren't those tests available for more people who need them? Because there is a serious lack of testing going on. I have, I, I just think these contact sports are up against it right now. And I think they're in a no-win situation. Now, obviously, someone like Dana White, I don't know that he cares. He just wants to go forward. And Dana White is a good friend of Donald Trump. And we know Donald Trump wants sports to come back. And I think he's kind of doing him a solid by putting forth these cards and buying this fight island that has been uh, notoriously talked about this last week or so where did ufc literally purchased an island to hold events at uh if they <laughs> needed to to avoid uh u.s jurisdiction so i, I just I'm, I'm glad it's going forward i'm glad sports is kind of getting back to normal i just shudder to think if any one of these sports that comes back has this pandemic rise up and just rips through them the, the backlash they would face would be monumental you're right. I think every league is looking at the same thing. Now, if UFC had everybody separate beforehand and then they all got tested beforehand before they convened together, then this would be what they said it was. They're testing working. Right. right. This would be an example of how their their system is working, which is what Dana White said. I don't know the ins and outs of this. Like, yeah, I don't obviously, either. if another 10 people got you know, got coronavirus because this one guy was in the fray with all of them while they're setting up the card, then yeah, then this is an idiotic. Like like the NBA, when Rudy Gobert got coronavirus, his whole team immediately, you know, got coronavirus. Right. The, the Jazz, a bunch of people got it, and a bunch of people throughout the league got it. They learned afterwards. So the thing spread, you know, by accident, but it spread clearly enough because one guy got it. Now, if the protocols are in place where everybody is quarantined separately, they come before they come together, they're tested. That would make sense to me. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. And I, like you say, I don't know the ins and outs of the testing protocol either. I'd have to read that article from the New York Times to see what the big criticism is. But I, I would think they're doing something like that. I think, you know, I, these aren't dumb people that run these organizations either. They are quite aware of kind of that looming backlash that hangs over everything. So you would think that they found one fighter, that fighter tested positive, so they pulled him and everyone else was clean, so that's why they went forward. You would think the WWE is kind of doing the same thing. They're testing their performers and everyone's being positive, and that's why they're going forward. They're holding back the people that might be more at high risk. That's why Roman Reigns hasn't been seen since before WrestleMania. So I, I, I'm hopeful that this can all go on without any kind of pandemic rising through the ranks and we can get something to watch i like everyone else miss sports <laughs> well i mean the usc card was the best i've ever seen and, right. my, and my brother kept talking to me about how it was like an all-time great card where each one of the last four fights were were, were 
a, you know, worthy of a being a main event. And th- this was obviously the case. I, each one of those four fights delivered. Henry Cejudo was the co-main and he retired after beating like a guy who was a legend in, in the business for, for all those years. So un- unreal card. I, I, I have so much respect for these people, even though I haven't always been a fight guy until my brothers got me into it. I, it's one of those one of those entertainments that you just can't simulate anywhere else. I mean, this would look like an end of a Rocky movie, you know, the end of the last fight, Justin Gaethje Ferguson fight. So it's un- unreal to watch. If you can watch the replays, it's worth doing. To show you how versatile I am as a uh, entertainment <laughs> critic, I'm going to pivot seamlessly into Four Weddings and a Funeral, the rom-com 10-episode <laughs> arc series on Hulu. Michael, I love what Hulu's doing with uh, High Fidelity, Four Weddings and a Funeral, taking these beloved films. I mean, I, well, what's next, I, I wonder? Is it Uncle Buck would be my choice? And <laughs> CGI John Candy. But well, what are you going to do next? Uh, the Money Pit? Like, again, you see where... <laughs> I'm kind of situated in, in my movie watching. Right you have now, a very one track mind there. Anyway, four weddings and a, fu- and a funeral. Just uh, what a guilty pleasure. And it's not even a guilty pleasure in the sense that it's not well made. Like these are funny people. These are talented actors, hilarious performances that, you know, you get the comedy, you get the romance. Like this was truly a very well made series. I thought there are moments where it kind of got big brotherish. I'm guessing, you know, to, to shout out something you like, but I think like this formula of basically just having a bunch of charismatic people switch romantic partners for 10 episodes. I mean, that's TV in a nutshell that worked on friends that worked on that 70 show. It worked on every single sitcom ever. Right. It worked on 200 plus. How many episodes of big brother are there? 700. It's, it's, it's just never enough. Right. So <laughs> it's worked on that series, every reality show ever. And of course it works on four weddings and a, and a funeral and Natalie Emmanuel, she did a great job leading the way. I, I, I loved it. Did this follow the Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, the screenplay of the movie at all? Because I don't remember them switching partners. Much less so than the the actual movie. So okay. so no, to answer your question, no. <laughs> but there's some you know there's some shout outs. Obviously, there's some similarities. Obviously, there's like an inciting incident that's very similar to the film uh, that started off the series. After that, I think you're dealing with like a second generation version of this. And gotcha. Yeah, they kept me on, on on my toes much more than High Fidelity. Like followed the track for like the first four episodes. Well, that's what I was going to ask you deviate. next between yeah. those two because you were very high on both. Which do you prefer? If you had to recommend someone to watch one, uh, I feel guiltier about watching Four Weddings. And <laughs> uh, you should. After you should. Especially after reviewing UFC two forty nine. <laughs> In the last dance and feeling tough for a second. Just a second. My left my arm lifts up. weights and does bicep curls, and my right arm is in a glove that comes up to my elbow. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's who I am as a person. Uh, and I and to further, you know, exclaim my versatility. I, re, I I'm going to review the assistant, Mike, because I watched that a couple of weeks ago on AMC on demand. It's a 2020 movie. Let me just say this: Julia Garner can act oh my god and and speaking of you know cracking the veneer acting i got to come up with a better name that doesn't sound dirty when it when it shouldn't be dirty but she, the cracks in her face like when the drama is ratcheting up i mean she is so good at that i, I want to watch ozark i know you've been watching ozark yes and she's been in that show so i wonder if she's awesome in there Kitty Green, writer director did it made a nice debut here uh, really a breakout film for her the problem with the film is that it kind of lulls you 
into this monotonous office work for most of the movie. And then you get the phone call with the bad evil voice on the other end of it. You know, it's supposed to be Harvey Weinstein there. And that kind of, you know, stirs you awake. But the, the, the last, I would say 25 minutes are just electric. And then there's a scene in the middle with the, the guy who plays uh, Shiv's husband in succession. Okay. Get his name. He's in pride and prejudice and whatnot. Anyway, he's a great actor. He has a scene with Julia Garner that's just uh, blow, blew my mind. It was oh, that really? good. So there's there's a great scene right in the middle of the movie. The last 30 minutes are really good. So it's worth watching in that respect. So there are definitely highs to be had. And Julia Garner, as a matter of fact, is one of my favorite characters in Ozark. And I was going to talk oh, about that. But that, that show I just got into, like you mentioned. But uh, So there are highs to be had, but probably not an Oscars contender if it was eligible for 2020, which you insist it is. She's in my top five for best actress right now. So that okay. is uh, high praise for her at the yeah. moment. We'll see if she gets knocked off. My guess is she will. A lot of, you know, big name actresses coming out with, uh, you know, major movies. So that yeah, we she's could like have, my four. We could have everything to come. We could have nothing to come in the remainder of this year. So we'll see. <laughs> I watched Spaceship Earth on Hulu. Very mixed about it. I think the most interesting part was when uh, Steve Bannon came into the picture at the end of this. But this is basically Pauly Shore's Biodome, but a documentary. FYI. <laughs> okay. And it's fascinating. It's it's fascinating to watch people in the 1960s researching climate change, like, seriously. And instead of being, like, this hippie commune, they decided to enterprise themselves and, and do all this good research for the environment and for the planet. And they got a billionaire backer that helped them. But uh, this commune of basically, you know, uh, actors. They were actors, Mike. They're in a theater group. And they, you know, researched how the world might survive you know, after the hum- human race kills it. <laughs> so it's a happy documentary. Not a review I thought we were getting today. Okay. I'm glad we finally got to the point in humanity where we can wax poetic of life imitating Pauly Shore's art, though. But that's what I remembered. I remembered the 1990s Pauly Shore movie, <laughs> Biodome. I never realized it was a real thing. Yeah. Biosphere 2 was a real thing. All right. They made that structure. I don't know if they filmed at that structure for Pauly Shore's Biodome. I'm going to have to find that out. I hope they let Pauly Shore into that structure. <laughs> Mike, I watched St. Francis, another 2020 movie on VOD, $5 rental. It's about a wayward 34-year-old woman becoming a nanny for this kid over a summer. It's a, a touching story about how she helps the family, how the family helps her. It's just one of those feel-good kind of things. So great job by actress slash writer Kelly O'Sullivan. We all need something to watch to kill some time. So $5 as an investment for something that makes you feel good, I think, is going to be okay there. I like So that's a recommendation for St. Francis. Finally, I watched Natalie Wood, What Remains Behind, the 2020 HBO documentary. And again, I, I, I think a conspiracy theory fell by the wayside for me. I think this was an accident. Natalie Wood famously died at sea when their ship was docked. Uh, this was Robert Wagner, right? Catalina, or number two from Austin yeah. Powers, Robert Wagner. Like, I don't think Robert Wagner goes for the rest of his life being a loving father and husband and just a loving all-around person. Same with Christopher Walken, who was on the boat at right, that time. Right, right, right. I don't think he, he, you know, you could tell a tree by its fruits. That's a Bible verse, and I think that's a, a true statement or, an, or at least a principle that you can work on. Like, if he was a cold-blooded murderer, 
he wouldn't have had the life he had, I don't think. I mean, otherwise he's fooled everybody since then, including, you know, the daughter of Natalie Wood, who was instrumental to making this documentary. So this seems just like a a tragic accident. It seems like she drowned. Was that the impetus for making this? Was this to clear Robert Wagner's name, you think, since it was done by the family? The first, you know, 75% of this movie is about Natalie Wood, and it's not about the accident. The last... 15 minutes i would say to the climax they understand that it needed to play into the to the end of the film and they did about 15 hard minutes on it where the the daughter interviews robert wagner about the about about it all and he gets his explanation and to me his explanation seemed like it made sense i'm sure there's you know it's there's conspiracy theorists out there there's people that think this was that that day and time just glossing over you know, uh, abuse and glossing right. over, you know, another guy got away with it, but they didn't have a violent relationship according to anybody in this film. Well, you know, they never had, they never had that issue ever, you know, in their lives. That's good to hear. But if you are, I mean, I watched something similar. That's almost the inverse. Cause if you're looking for something where it was documented that there was a violent relationship and it did end in a terrible tragedy with one taking the life of the other 2020, the program, the news program on ABC uh, last week, I think ran a special about Phil Hartman death and how yeah. he was uh, brutally murdered by his wife and uh, fascinating watch i did watch that and it was just you know it's it sounds like the exact opposite of what goes down they have eyewitness reports and friends of the family there and they were all talking about this so if you're looking for something uh that does you know it's not conspiratorial at all in its own right and it does just report the facts but it's the opposite of what happened it was not an accident by any means uh i would recommend people go check out that the uh, the life of phil hartman there on uh, from 2020 i believe it's on youtube right now Wow, you keep watching these domestic tragedy movies. I'm surprised you didn't watch Natalie Wood, actually. I, I wanted to, and you know what? It just kind of fell by the wayside, as Bradley Cooper would say with a southern twang. You've never said that before. It's a strange <laughs> reference. Mike, what else did you watch? Anything else? I watched Black Christmas, the remake. Okay. I am so angry about what <laughs> happened on that film because... This had to be studio involvement and studio meddling because I think there were the bones here and the body here for what could have been a great statement film and maybe a cult classic in in years to come from Mm -hmm. these two female writers. And I, I can't help but feel the studio must have gotten involved and been like yeah okay so take this story that's about this abuse and the the hardships that females face and like like all these these terrible things and let's add this uh this this cult mentality let's just say uh all the guys uh they just uh they get mind controlled and it's like what (laughs) what it doesn't fit the story it doesn't fit the first hour of the movie at all it feels really like there had to be some studio meddling i don't think that was what we got as the final version of the script was what the intent of the this this original screenplay was and i think that's kind of a a dirty pool that happened but because i do think there was a decent heart at the you know at the middle of this script so that aggravated me and i completely understand why people were were outraged by what they finally got what they got in the final product uh, i didn't like that i did finish succession i mentioned that last week i did just start ozark i'm five or six episodes deep into the season one there so that's been taking up the majority of my time uh lately and i also uh like we said uh i watched money in the bank sunday michael um <laughs> two men were thrown off the side of wwe headquarters 
They uh, they wanted us to believe that. Uh, Rey Mysterio was one of them. He was thrown off, and they even had an accompanying splat sound. You didn't see him hit the ground, but that was the inclination. That was the intimation, I should say. The implication was that he hit the ground, and the next night on Raw, on Monday night, he showed up, and he was fine. And he said, I just hit a roof, a second roof that was only six feet below. So I'm I'm cool. I'm here. So he's Wiley Coyote is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. God, I love wrestling. WWE is maybe at its worst point since the early 90s if not ever for as long as i've been watching it's really bad and they just lost uh one of their headline acts becky lynch this monday on raw had to give up her title because she has announced that she is pregnant and because we can't have nice things yeah congratulations to her and to seth rollins who is in real life the father but because we can't have nice things i think they are starting an angle where seth rollins is going to say that she cheated on him within storyline Uh, And they started planting seeds for that on Monday. And I think he's going to announce that he is not the father in kayfabe. So, you know, why have happiness with a baby? Well, you got to ruin it. We got to professional wrestling it up. Uh, So that's what I've been watching for the most part, along with random YouTube and horrible, horrible domestic violence programs. Oh, my God. Mike, (laughs) I don't know how to save you. I don't I don't know what to do. The world Uh, is a sad, lonely, horrible place. And we're reviewing Capone next. So we're we're idiots. And I'm just feeding all of this. I'm feeding what you're doing to yourself here. Well, the bright side is you had a lot of great recommendations. And then that's part of the that you'll never take. You'll never take them because you have to watch Ozark or the path. I did ask you. I did tease that story. I was I was asking you if I should watch the path or if I should watch. I forget the other ones. Uh, Sharp objects was one. And you yelled at me. Handmaid's Tale. You were like, you're disgusting. Don't watch any of these. (laughs) Watch something happy and uplifting. And I was like, you're right, Mike. I will. And I started Ozark. So that's the story of that how that ended uh we will transition you have happy recommendations i have more sad ones and somewhere in the middle is reality and that's where we'll talk about the news of the week news 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 all right so the biggest story as it pertains to uh the award season and what we do with the oscars here this just came out. There are rumors out there that the Oscars could postpone their show in 2021 by four months. So this was uh, sent to us from our buddy Wojciech Weischer. Uh, it's a story by Emma Kelly of Metro News in the UK. Essentially, this kind of makes some sense that she's hearing rumors and she's reporting that that it's been discussed moving the Oscars to late May, early June. It makes sense if there's a four month delay in everything movie world and, and, and in the industry that you can just move it. My question, my first question is, why can't they do that with the film festivals from the jump? Like, I, I guess it's all logistics oriented. And I wonder if, you know. I wonder if at the end of the day, everybody cooperated and said, all right, the Oscars, and they had an opportunity to say it in our last breaking news episode, right. saying, all right, hey, we're moving to May, everybody else fall in line, lead, lead, Academy, lead, <laughs> and they didn't do it. Instead, we got all these mixed results for these festivals going virtual from South by Southwest, San Diego Comic-Con just announced they're going to go virtual, we're seeing what Can is doing, they're doing the We Are One with Tribeca there. I think these results are like John Carter-ish for South by Southwest. How's and that? I'm, I'm getting there because they're half virtual, half live action <laughs> for some of them. So John wow. Carter. Yeah. South by Southwest is kind of John Carter. It didn't work. Okay. But no, I, I, I appreciate these, it. 
these other you know festivals are hoping that the half live action half virtual will play more like enchanted with amy adams or who framed roger rabbit wow which which made i learned made 330 something million at the box office so that's what will never happen again are hoping for but mike why why won't why won't everybody just get along and cooperate well i think you said the main reason and i have to believe logistically it would be a nightmare for these festivals to block off the hotel rooms in another four months down the road and try to get everyone, you know, get everyone's ducks in a row yeah. and people clear their schedules properly and get the keynote address speakers and blah, 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 because these things are planned out so far in advance. Uh, if it's not that reason, then yeah, I don't know what the reason would be why they can't do that. I do have some red flags as far as this report though um and you know all credit to emma kelly of the metro news and i actually did see this on in multiple tabloids but they were all british tabloids Hmm. and like if this rumor was legitimate why isn't like IndieWire and the hollywood reporter and deadline variety and like the companies and the trades based in la reporting on it there really hasn't been much about that stateside uh, secondly, Emma Kelly cited that part of the reason they made there may be hesitation to move the Oscars is that film studios may hold their films back until 2022, which makes no sense to me. I mean, I don't understand how the Oscars playing if they were to go forward at, in February of 2021, or if they're pushed out four months to June of 2021, why the films would hold themselves back to 2022? Because I would think the film year would still run between what may let's say or or april of 2021 until december i would still think the end date would be december because the oscars have locked in place their program their their date for the award show of 2022 already so those so, deadlines would still remain i would think no i think the, the the winter next winter is already filling in and you know like february and march it's filling in with blockbuster level movies from the Eternals bumping there mm-hmm. to a couple others. We've covered it. I wonder if that's what they're worried about. If, if it's more of an industry wide concern and if, you know, the Oscars being owned by ABC and having a loud voice of Disney in the room is saying, look guys, I, we can't, we can't have Oscar time while the Eternals is supposed to make money. I mean, we can't have that. We're not going to support Could you be. in that. And if we own, if we own the broadcast date, we're probably gonna put pressure on you to keep your your obligations for February. So if if it's, yeah, I mean this is the frustrating thing with with all of this. Nobody's working together. Like if they were able to work right. together, then you can just have the reshuffling. You're gonna probably need the reshuffling regardless for production reasons. Right. right. Production's been delayed. Absolutely. So this would this could make some sense. For Oscar movies to come out next January and February and March, have the thing in May, or, or you can even put it in April and May, and put all those movies in April and May, rather, whatever, shift everything, just like baseball's doing, just like MB- the NBA will do, the NFL might do, just like all these other sports programs are having to do it and shift their seasons, why can't we just all work together and make this the season that it is? Well, the Oscars- and keep it the season that it's supposed to be. The Oscars have to. They have to wait, and that's my third point here. They have to wait for the sports leagues to figure out what the hell they're doing first because Pete Hammond of Deadline came out on on the 7th of May with an article that went over uh, ulterior plans, proposals for the NFL schedule. The NFL had to delay, and one of the ulterior plans is moving the Super Bowl to February 28th, which right now is the date of the Oscars. 
So you can move it a week. I mean, last week, last year, they were a week after the Super Bowl. The Baftas landed on the Super Bowl, so they can. They oh, can you move. can move it a week, but you'd need to do that months in advance. And it's not like the Oscars can do that unless they're sure the NFL is taking that date. The sports leagues need to go first for a couple reasons. One, the Oscars can't conflict with the Super Bowl or any kind of playoffs because they'll lose. I mean, the ratings say they'll lose. More people watch the sports games well, of than course, they do the yeah. Oscars. Secondly, you said ABC is the big the big fox in the hen house here with this issue because ABC is not going to schedule the Oscars within the NBA finals and try to take those ratings away with each other. Like they're not going to try to conflict those two programs. Maybe they'll do a finals date, then the Oscars, then the finals date. But if the NBA finals are still playing at the end of June in the 2021, 22 season, ABC is not going to run marketing for both those uh, entities. I would think, I would think they'd want their built-in audiences to have a proper lead up to both. And that have that makes time more to, sense. Yeah. I mean, that's how I view it. So that's why I, I just I have these issues with this report and the fact that nobody in L.A. is talking about this yet, or at least that we've seen. I mean, I'm sure there's backroom conversations happening, but the fact that nothing so much has been leaked from anyone is a little bizarre to me if the Oscars truly were going to move. I'm not saying they won't, and I think actually them moving might make a lot of sense, but I think a lot of dominoes have to fall first. I don't think the Academy can say we're taking this date and everything else be damned in the future. Yeah, that, that argument with the NBA makes a lot more sense because that's base, they're basing their spring programming on one thing, and they're not going to move the Oscars to the spring if if it's going to be right and smack in the middle of all their other other obligations. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't I don't necessarily think they're worried about the Super Bowl as much because they can just move it a week like they did last year and still you know do okay and and not uh, have to shut down the entire academy for the rest of uh, <laughs> the rest of human history. Mike, we have another story about a big date and surprisingly this date is July first where the movie Unhinged is going to become the first wide release in America in America of a Hollywood movie. Russell Crowe is basically like in this road rage situation. We both watched the trailer. What do you think of Unhinged basically planting their flag on July 1st? I think it's a little a bit of lunacy, considering that AMC <laughs> and other theaters have basically said we're not going to be ready to open yet, but uh, go for it. I, I guess somebody's got to be first. I think it's smart for a smaller studio to kind of test the waters. They moved this one up. Solstice Studios is the one behind it. They moved this one up to say we're going to be the first one to reopen, and I guess it's an easy way to get headlines and get people talking about you. So I think it makes sense for a smaller studio to do this. They have a headline name in Russell Crowe. It's an interesting trailer. The The premise for the trailer, Russell Crowe's character, is the personification of everyone's state of mind heading out of this quarantine. So I think that makes a lot of sense, too. There's relatability built in there. I've been driving for years. I probably <laughs> used my horn three times. So especially after watching 10 seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasm during this quarantine. Right. Don't shush people. Don't hit your horn ever. Don't flip people <laughs> off. Like, it's either going to go one direction, even in the comic world, it doesn't go well. Because, again, you know, art is life for me. And I just basically take, you know, all my reads on humanity from the, the silver or the small screen, Michael. So it, I can't believe how the setups for e all of these situations, whether it's Larry David or Russell Crowe becoming a psychopathic murderer, 
are the same. I can't believe they're the same, and yet this is the same. And if the woman just apologized, and if Russell Crowe wasn't a murderer, or if Larry David didn't trust somebody, we wouldn't have all this, you know, strife in the world. Correct? Yeah, that was, Am that I correct? was very odd in the trailer, how he just wanted an apology for her laying on her horn too loudly, and she just wouldn't give him even that much. So I, I, that was uh, uh, bizarre, yes. But I think... I was going to call it Changing Lanes, because that's what's on my mind, but it's not Changing yeah. Lanes. It's called Unhinged. <laughs> but Unhinged might be doing Tenet a solid here, too. Because if Unhinged does better than expected, I would think Tenet's going to feel really good about having keeping that July 17th date if it doesn't move by the time Unhinged opens on the 1st. There's definitely a tug-of-war right now over Tenet on July 17th, because L.A. is apparently going to be locked down still. That's already been decreed that that's of wow. this morning. Eric Weber was tweeting about it, our buddy over there at Awards Ace. And he was saying, like, there's no way Tenant opens if the L.A. market can't show a movie. I would so, agree with that. And we've been kind of saying that ourselves. Here. You need it, yeah. L.A., you need New York. And those two are not doing very well right now. So much to Christopher Nolan's chagrin. I don't know that it's going to happen. Well, R.L. Terry was all about, just play more movies in Florida. We'll, we'll come to the movies and we'll, we'll prop up the box office. I love that tweet. I retweeted it the other day. So who knows, Mike? Anyway, we got some Do You Care stories today, and we got a bunch of them. Second, this is where we take other news stories of the week. We ask each other, do we, should we, or will we care about them? The way we start every Do You Care segment is when humanity existed. I would ask Mike about the new movies coming out in theaters, but that doesn't happen anymore. So we're talking VOD and premium releases for new releases this week. Mike, mm -hmm. coming to VOD, we have Olympic Dreams, which is a Nick Kroll rom-com, which is a sentence I never thought I would say. Well, he's done a few of these, Mike. He needs to stop and just make... <laughs> hilarious comedies what are you doing nick kroll like i don't take you seriously as an olympian at the olympic village you know with this fit you know this fitness girl like this other olympian this other athlete i don't take you seriously i know you too well man just do what the larry doing? bird biopic where you play larry bird from the kroll show that's all i want out of nick kroll. that and bobby bottle service it's like Danny McBride, if he was in a serious romantic comedy where he's playing an actual Major League Baseball player, I would call bullshit. Danny McBride's for the love of the game. Right? <laughs> Absurd. Well, maybe this is bullshit, too, because we have Lucky Grandma coming out May 22nd, and that's a grandma going all in on a gambling bender. I'm kind of intrigued by this one. I, I was reading a lot of indie reviews on it. 92% on the Rotten Tomato meter right now. You might be in, in on this one. As, uh, I might want a gambling movie. Might want to marry her. Never mind being on the movie. <laughs> you might want to go with her on the next bender. How the, does it turn out? The Painter and the Thief drops May 22nd. This is a documentary about a painter who becomes friends with the thief who stole his paintings. So that sounds kind of fascinating. Yeah, it and it got it's got a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now. So I'm in, I'm into that. I like that one too. I'm I'm a sucker for art. That HBO documentary about the art, uh, the the art world that went on. That right, I, I want right. to rewatch that. Coming on Amazon Prime, Seaberg, which I feel like we've talked about, has been coming for seven or eight times now. That's dropping on the fifteenth. 
Amazon respects theatrical windows, so they let the Kristen Stewart movie about the renowned French actress, the legendary French actress there, they let that one play in theaters. They let it play on VOD with, uh, pre, you know, before it came to Amazon Prime, and now it's coming to Amazon Prime May 15th, so we're into it. It's kind of a middling movie in terms of its reviews. I, I hear it's a good performance from Kristen Stewart. I will be clicking play on that. Another one that we've talked about that has kind of switched distributors here in the midst of COVID, The Lovebirds is going to debut the 22nd on Netflix. I'm suspicious that this is actually a good movie because I, I heard it was playing like on VOD before it was it wasn't going to have a wide theatrical release in other words so I'm a little suspicious that this has the goods but I'm open for a pleasant surprise so I'll you probably there. click play on it as well. Michael, we have several production stories, and the first just blew my mind. Tom Cruise and Elon Musk, Mike, they want to film a movie in space, <laughs> literally in outer space with NASA on board here. Okay, so it's a Mission Impossible movie, and if it's not Mission Impossible, it's Tom Cruise revealing that he's going to have a cameo in the next Fast and Furious movie. That's the only two movies that these can be. I think it was only a matter of time before we actually shot Tom Cruise in a rocket up into space. I think that's the natural progression. Like, the older he gets, the more he seems to fight Father Time, which means he needs to do more and more outlandish shit. And, like, so in the 30s, it meant he was actually hanging off the sides of cliffs for Mission Impossible 2. And in the 40s and 50s, it means that, like, he's actually doing halo drops and free-falling in Mission Impossible 6. <laughs> so, of course, as he approaches 60, he's going to go up into space. When he's in his 80s, I don't know what's left to do. Is he just God at that point? As long as this is not a remake of Battlefield Earth, <laughs> I think we're okay. But yeah, I mean, tip of the hat to the guy, and he's working with NASA. Elon Musk has got his SpaceX program that uh, this is going to be working with. But are we sure, either Tom Cruise or Elon Musk, that they're not the uh, villain from Moonraker, the no. James Bond movie? Are we no. sure? I've had a long-standing conversation with two of my best friends how I think Elon Musk is just the real-life movie villain come to life. He might be, and he's doing good. Th like him and number two from the Austin Powers movies. What's the difference between their business strategies? I really want to know. Oh, don't let him hear you call him a number two. He will not. He will not like that. All right, fine. He's number one in this case, but like it's the same thing. Anyway, Mike, uh, I'm sure this is music to your ears. Scream Five might be bringing back Nev Campbell. All kinds of rumors this week. So she sat down, she's talked with the two writers who are the writers from Ready or Not. They're going to be handling Scream 5. I I don't want Nev Campbell back if Courtney Cox and David Arquette aren't coming too. I think that you, might be you want surprising. You the full reunion? I, yeah. Give me closure on those three characters. That's all I've asked <laughs> out of the next Scream movie. You could kill them Drew Barrymore style from, from the opening credits if you want. I don't care. But you, we followed this franchise... People were brought into the horror genre in 96 because of the original Scream. People mm -hmm. revisited the horror genre in 96, because, or the slasher genre, because of how poorly it was handled in the late 80s and early 90s. Scream reinvigorated and reintroduced a lot of people to horror. You, they demand you, you have to do right by those people. Give them closure. Uh, I'm rooting for you in this instance, Michael. <laughs> uh, in terms of the next project, M. Night Shyamalan's next movie 
added a terrific cast that yeah. I'm just so impressed with. We have Eliza Scanlon from Baby Teeth and Sharp Objects and Little Women. We have Thomason McKenzie, Jojo Rabbit, Leave No Trace. We have Alex Wolf from Hereditary and Bad Education. We have Vicky Crapes from Phantom Thread. Vicky Crapes is very picky, according to uh, Chris Evangelista there in the Slash Film article about what she has been choosing to do. So this is an M. Night Shyamalan movie. He's been hit or miss in the past. You get this top secret script, but he's got a great cast I, i'm never gonna get away from him he's, he's like the the mob with me every time <laughs> he I can't think right him out, he's gonna pull me back in so i'm in for this i'll always be in for Shyamalan. i can't ever turn my back on him i don't know why Mike, Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt have reteamed for a superhero movie, Ball and Chain, after their Jungle Cruise got uh, shifted till next year. Yeah, they just started doing rounds for Jungle Cruise before the world shut down for COVID, and they seem to have a natural chemistry, and naturally I hear... Dwayne Johnson, so I don't care at all about this movie, and I immediately <laughs> jump in my mind to the patriarchal, chauvinistic turn of if Emily Blunt's you know life was on the line and we had to have beefed up man-child Jack Ryan fighting Rocky Maivia, who would win between John Krasinski and Dwayne Johnson in a fight? Oh I would God. think I would think The Rock would be the favorite there. No, <laughs> sure. Okay, good. I'm glad you agree with me. Yeah, <laughs> you have a good point there, Mike. The Rock would beat up John Krasinski. <laughs> this one is supposed to be coming to Netflix. At least that's what everyone assumes, according to The Hollywood Reporter. And we're having an official crossing of the streams here because we have the Disney's Jungle Crew duo <laughs> themselves being Mary Poppins and the DCEU's Black Adam doing another superhero property penned by the co-writer of Amazon's The Big Sick, as Emily V. Gordon is going to be writing the screenplay for this one, herself married to the MCU's The Eternal Star, and they're all doing a Netflix movie, so... All right, so when is too many franchise acting roles too much? <laughs> like, is is it just basically Robert Downey Jr. doing Dr. Doolittle? Is that the limit that everybody's drawn in the line? <laughs> That's in the, sand? the point of no return, yeah. Does every actor have to reach that limit? Like, you have, you know, Harrison Ford being Jack London or whoever he is right. in uh, <laughs> <Call> the Wild. <laughs> right. That's enough, man. We're not supporting you anymore. You're either Indiana Jones and Han Solo, but you can't be Indiana Jones, Han Solo, and somebody yeah, else. You've, you've lost all your cachet. We're, we're through so Emily. You. Blunt and The Rock are getting there, let's just say. <laughs> Mike, we have some Disney news here. The the theatrical and original cast version of the Hamilton, I guess it's a movie or whatever it is, it's being moved up to July 3rd, and it's going to debut on Disney+. Plus. So it's the stage production. They recorded what happened on stage. This got... Yeah, this got moved up almost 18 months, and it's it's not surprising. We've been saying this from the beginning. Disney Plus doesn't have enough new content. They have a, a huge demand right now. Their subscriber base is going up and up and up. We just reported that in 2025, they're supposed to have two point, or 202 million subscribers, which was a huge number that, that Netflix has got to be afraid of. That's crazy. But, from the Hamilton perspective, Mike, they have made so much money with their Broadway production here. On a budget of $12.5 million, Hamilton, according to BroadwayWorld.com, has grossed over $649 million. Christ. Disney also paid $75 million for these rights. Does that mean they can put this out there on Disney Plus and then make a Hamilton live-action movie two, three years later and then every 10 years? Afterwards, yeah, yeah I, I think, think it's coming. I think that's coming, yeah. and it and I don't think that this stops them from doing that. However, today we've heard rumblings 
from a lot of the trades that some movie theater owners are kind of pissed at this, that Disney has taken this property away from movie theaters in the future because it could have been an underground hit. It could have been something that they could have played on, you know, movie screens. When those get back up and that fateful day when we could all go to the movies again, I think uh, they don't want to poke the bear, though. That's a quote from the Variety article. Yeah. the, The bear... In terms of Disney here, they have really gotten in the face of movie theater owners. I mean, Ann Thompson, everybody is, you know, in terms of the AMC Universal strife, everybody is called back like, listen, this is not quite as bad as the Dis- when Disney wanted to do X, Y, and Z for the Avengers, right? So we've seen this get even nastier. We've seen it get worse in the past. So don't F with Disney. Yeah, the I one guess. thing we've learned from the AMC Universal fallout is that the major theater chains don't have as deep of pockets as I think we all kind of thought they did at the outset and that if you don't have deep pockets you're not going to target Disney regardless and you're not going to target Disney anyway so Disney's Disney's their own world and they've done a lot to become their own world and speaking of Disney we have two big Disney stories involving Star Wars Boba Fett is going to show up in the Mandalorian season two Michael so if this is not a flashback is this another shameless retcon from the Star Wars universe here. I'm, I'm a little upset by this story because I'm, I'm worried after the rise of Skywalker and all that lazy writing that went into that. And and don't get me started on on, on the fact that Rise of Skywalker is any good, people. I just, I, I was I confirmed. In Mother's Day conversation with my brothers that we all just hated on the Rise of Skywalker for like a half hour. It was a lot of fun. Look, the Mandalorian, in terms of how they you know, did their fan service, they were really, really clever. And it was it was just an example of mostly good writing, of clever writing. Taika Waititi was one of the directors, and he directed the finale. He is going to direct the next Star Wars movie uh, with writer Christy Wilson Cairns of 1917. So I'm hoping, Michael, I'm hoping that with Robert Rodriguez involved for season two of The Mandalorian, with uh, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good talent, in front of and behind the the screen we're going to get a good uh season two and we're going to get a good taika watiti movie and hopefully during quarantine that's what they're doing right now they're they're writing it yeah taika has done so much good for disney i've talked about this in the past but the two movie properties he's done one for fox searchlight and one for the mcu obviously uh jojo rabbit and thor ragnarok he's made about five dollars profit five dollars gross i should say for every one dollar worth of production yeah uh, that's gone in so he's made them buku bucks and actually jojo on a uh a uh, comparative basis was had a higher rate of profit than uh, wow. Thor Ragnarok did, as a matter of fact. And he's been doing great with all what we do in the shadows for FX and Hulu. So he just give him a board seat if I was Disney. And they're sinking their teeth, they're sinking their hooks into both Taika Waititi and Lin Manuel Miranda, which I think is incredibly smart on a lot of levels. So again, Disney, they know what they're doing there. Thor Love and Thunder. Can't wait for that. Yeah. So hopefully he can write the screenplay before uh, he's got to go into production on Thor Love and Thunder. So fingers crossed. Yeah, very excited to see what he does, too, with that. But we'll move to a box office update now. Michael, the Norway box office was good from the 8th through Sunday the 10th for that weekend. So only 30 venues uh, opened out of 483 in Norway. It was about... 10 days after their government allowed this reopening to take place. So they had social distancing rules in effect. They required a meter, which we don't know what the fuck that means, (laughs) between guests. 
why we don't use the metric system, I'll never know here. So if all our, you know, uh, listeners abroad can amen to that, you know, I would like the metric system too, but uh, ashamedly, I don't know what the meter is, even as a track coach. Anyway, social distancing rules were in effect. And here's the most surprising news of, of, of the weekend. 96% of available tickets for the biggest theater in this mix, Oslo's Theater, they were sold, Mike. So that amounted for uh, over a thousand total admissions in that particular theater. Overall, seven thousand one hundred eighty-seven tickets were sold in thirty theaters over the three days. Ah, well, that's good news, and that's again, anytime we have a story that's talking about or seeming like some sense of normalcy is returning, uh, I'm all for it. Yeah, and as for the rest of the world, Texas movie theaters reopened like we covered last week. They did some heartening business, according to a lot of uh, you know insiders. Uh, South Korean cinemas, Mike, they went contactless with AI robots and automated kiosks. We also got stories about Hong Kong and Germany getting ready to reopen at the end of the month. And uh, the United Kingdom with China, Japan, a bunch of stories uh, dropped today that they will be reopening a little later. But, I mean, in the U.K. Is, is happening at the start of July. So what do you think of all this? Yeah, so if you believe the stats from the health organizations of these countries, it makes a lot of sense. Hong Kong is pretty much totally in the clear with the virus. They reported no new cases on Monday. Oh, good. So they make sense to reopen. Germany... They just started easing restrictions on Monday. They uh, they had 357 new cases. That's when the eased restrictions also went into effect. And then Tuesday, they jumped up to nearly 1,000 new cases. So I oh think boy. if that keeps up, obviously, they're going to have to revisit opening on May 30th, that biggest theater uh, opening on May 30th there, like they're saying, because you mm-hmm. can't sustain a tripling uh, right out of the gate. So hopefully that's a one-time blip. Uh, either of those countries, though, are doing better than the U.K. and the U.S.A., obviously. Yeah. Uh, Hong Kong and Germany's biggest theaters have hard and fast reopening dates and i think that's why the wording of the uk theaters saying they won't open until at least july 4th is saying what they are because they're still mm-hmm. having about seventeen thousand new cases of covid a day of diagnosed covid in the, over in britain uh and that's why they're saying you know we won't open until july 4th at the earliest i would be surprised okay. if they actually make that date and obviously we talk ad nauseum about what's going on in the u.s which has similar numbers so they keep moving the goal, and, and we, we don't blame them, yeah. and it, it makes sense. All right, we do have some real VOD box office numbers, though, Michael. These reports were compiled by Tom Brueggemann of IndieWire. So awesome job by Mr. Brueggemann. Again, you know, we've been retweeting his stuff like crazy. He's finally somebody who's gotten these numbers for us. We can't get him anywhere else. Him. So read IndieWire there, uh, friends of the pod. Look, this is the same set of movies, unfortunately, like Bloodshot, Trolls, Bad Boys on all of the Amazon, iTunes lists there. I'm, I'm getting frustrated. Like, I need new movies. I'm more interested in Brueggemann's report about the Kino Marquee. And this is not heartening because from March 19th through April 30th, that's a long time. That's like 41 days, if I can count. Baccarat was the highest earner, and it only reportedly earned 316000 worth of ticket sales virtually. Wow. Now, this is not widely available to everybody, or at least it's on everybody's radar. But if you go to your favorite theater chain, you know, the Kino Cinema, the Kino Marquee Cinema could be a part of that. It could be just this one virtual cinema that's out there. I don't know if it's if it's supposed to be like the virtual theater chain or if it's just the one KinoMarquee.com. But I guess if it's the, the latter, 
then that those are good numbers. If it's everything, then 316k over a you know a month's worth of business is not good. Yeah, and we still don't know. I mean, context is still missing from VOD and rental sales and all that. We still don't have a full picture. So, and you just kind of described that at the end there. So, I, I you know, it's nice to have numbers, but it's still right. not a complete set of numbers. So we won't be able to really parse through them and let everyone know what that means uh, until a later date. But I guess everyone's doing better than Quibi, and that's what matters. <laughs> what is Quibi? We still don't know. A money maybe loser. we'll never know. A money loser yeah, is what Quibi not is. doing well. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Quibi. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's finish off here with the audience interaction segment, another thing of Six Degrees of MMO. But we have a bit of an announcement, Michael. Yeah, we're going to pause Six Degrees of MMO after this week because we want to open up this segment for what you guys are watching. Yeah. So send us some reviews, what you're loving during this quarantine, what is helping you cope with everything that's going on. We think that'll be a little change up that's worth doing. We'll we'll bookend the episode, what we're watching, what you're watching. Uh, in terms of next week's MMOW, we'll take a quick break from Six Degrees and we'll, we'll get your reviews. So send us whatever you want in terms of your movie reviews, your TV reviews. If you're watching dark shit on YouTube like Mike One, <laughs> if you're watching happy rom-com, you know, pie in the sky stuff like me, or hopefully somewhere in between like a more well-balanced human being, you will... Uh, <laughs> You will, you will help us. You will help us find new stuff to watch. And that's kind of the selfish reason behind this. Like, we just need new shit to watch, I think, right now. Yeah, and tell us what to avoid, too. I mean, whatever you – if you mm -hmm. like it, you don't like it, let us know. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your reviews. Keep those rolling in. We'll highlight the best ones. And, and like Mike said, this is both selfish and helpful. Uh, we certainly want to – we need new stuff to watch ourselves, and we want to spread the word about it for any kind of missing or hidden gems out there. Uh, but for this week, we did have a Six Degrees of MMO Challenge. We're going – Jonathan Majors to Steve Zahn, Michael. Yeah, we had our winner right off the bat because you and I are idiots, or this guy's really smart. It might be the latter. It might be the <laughs> former. It might be both. I, I hope it's both. Ken Murray, at Murray Maker, said... Lee, Ma Lee Majors. Jonathan Majors <laughs> was in Hostiles with Christian Bale, who was in Rescue Dawn with Zahn. Bing, well, bang, boom. We're idiots for not knowing that. And, and or Ken is really smart for finding it. So Wolverines! That's yes, that's that's our bad there. And great job by Ken Murray at Murray Maker. Yeah, you are the winner. We will give you all your, your awards. At the end of this, we'll go with the Inefficiency Award for Andrew Morgan. <laughs> Joke this is Andrew of the Nomcast, so I'm breaking his balls here. Yeah. <laughs> Jokes on Drew. Steve Zahn performed alongside two actors who played Batman, Affleck in Forces of Nature, and Clooney in Out of Sight. Another actor who played Batman is Christian Bale, who was in Hostels with Jonathan Majors. So immediately after he, he made this tweet, you know... Uh... <laughs> Murray Maker there, Ken Murray, sent him like, hey, man, you could have done this so much easier. <laughs> and then Andrew just like, you know, sent a bunch of Skeletor gifts. They were flying. So I included this uh, breaking his chops here. It's quarantine. We're all weird right now. Michael, speaking of weird and... Yes, that's the great way. That's a great transition. Very appropriate. Dark Nook at Dark Nook Shop says, I'm just going to keep doing it. Jonathan Majors was in Do Not Disturb, which was the sign oh, no. David Car Carradine put on the door of his Bangkok hotel room when he did that thing he did. <laughs> and, of course, Steve Zahn was in That Thing You Do. That is so dark and messed up. 
Uh, goes with the nook, right? Great job, Dark Nook, as always, it's keeping so that running gag going. And we're such bad people. We laugh at it every week. <laughs> every it's week. genuinely hilarious. So the, 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 the thing for him now is can he work that into a movie? Right, right that's true. That's true. That's going to be his personal challenge. Uh, uh, we have Ian at Koislan, K-U-Y-S-L-A-N. Jonathan Majors is in Hostels with Rosamund Pike, who is in an education with Carrie Mulligan, who was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actress in that same year penelope cruz was nominated for best supporting actress for nine cruz also appears in three-time teen choice awards nominees sahara with steve zahn three-time teen teen choice nominee ian connecting one award to another that's a great job mark burgundy at the one hands and he said steve zahn guest starred in friends as did bruce willis uh, who is in Motherless Brooklyn with Ed Norton, who guest starred in Modern Family, as did Nathan Lane, who guest starred on Frasier, as did Terry Hatcher, who guest starred in Two and a Half Men, as did Pat Oswalt, who guest starred in Seinfeld, as did Christine Taylor, who guest starred in Curb Your Enthusiasm, as did F- Vince Vaughn, who guest starred in Doogie Howser, as did Thor Birch, who was in The Last Black Man in San Francisco with Jonathan Majors. I like that. Nice theme there for Mark Burgundy. Do you think people who win the Teen Choice Awards can their award is an actual surfboard do you think they actually keep it i hope so like if you won an award and you're michael if i win any s- award i'm keeping it <laughs> you're gonna keep i'm in a, a room right now i'm in a room right now with like little league trophies what are you gonna do so- with the surfboard you're gonna just fucking lean it against your wall <laughs> it's gonna it could go somewhere i mean yeah i'll go in the fire pit that's where mine go <laughs> don't nominate me for a teen choice award you would win <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. This false modesty is disgusting. You, of all people, with the ego that you put on display during these broadcasts, are going to tell me you're going to get a national award on national television, and then you're going to throw it in your fire pit. No, you're right. I would never get off it. I would just ride it everywhere. <laughs> oh, like, what are you doing in the supermarket, Mike? I'm like, I'm riding the wave, brah. Hey, did you know I won this award? <laughs> this, you, you're going to be the guy from a Christmas Story. Yeah, yeah it's, you're it's, right. It's a major award. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, Mike. That was a miscalculation on my part. <laughs> I'm glad you set me straight there. Congratulations, Ken Murray. You are the winner of all things bragging rights, six degrees of MMO related. I don't remember our throne for this year, or for this month, I should say, at all. What was it? What the fuck was it? Yeah. Well, last, I remember last month. I do, too. It was memorable. Because <laughs> we got arrested. At the end of it. <laughs> right. It was firing Purell at people out of a cannon. Oh, my God. I, I have no recollection. I, and well, I told myself I, I, when, I, when I was putting this together that I needed to go look it up again and re-listen to our episode. Well, here we go. Since we're putting Six Degrees on pause for a while, Ken, you can describe your own throne and let us know what you come up with. And that'll be the throne uh, for May, or at least until we get back to doing Six Degrees of MMO again. Uh, you are the winner at Murray Maker. Congratulations. We don't have a Six Degrees challenge for you all next week because, as Mike said at the start of our audience interaction segment, yep. we want to hear your film reviews, your film TV, whatever, good, bad, and different. What have you been watching? What are your takes on them? How do they make you feel? Uh, how did you feel going into them? And why did you pick them to watch, etc., etc.? Let us know all of that. You can leave us those, as well as comments, questions, concerns, anything else uh, about this episode or anything we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us all of that 
at Mike, Mike and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike and Oscar on Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com dot com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. And if you are quarantining and isolating with us and letting us try to kill an hour or so of your day a couple times a week, we cannot thank you enough in return. If you would take 10 to 15 seconds to go on the Apple podcast app and just tap the five stars for a review, that would truly mean a lot to us. Michael. Tell the good people what is coming next and what are some words of wisdom. Well, it is wise to tell us to watch stuff because we need new stuff to watch. (laughs) You're fucking watching YouTube murder (laughs) binges. You're out of your goddamn mind. And I'm just watching rom-com shit. I I need new stuff to watch. Fossey Verdon was probably the best thing I didn't mention, but... We need stuff, so we're, we're asking you guys to send us your reviews for, for, us, for us, too, and for our listeners. So that's the words of wisdom that I'll double up on or double down on here, Michael. What's coming next from us is the reason why we're doing all this, Capone. We're <laughs> resorting to a movie event review of Capone, the uh, Tom Hardy film where he has terrible makeup and he shits his pants and it will be an entertaining episode from us it is an episode that i'm dreading and i almost wanted to watch it last night i'm dreading this whole whole enterprise michael this is going to be terrible (laughs) i don't like this but we're gonna do it i don't know if we're gonna do a 15 minute review and then like a top five worst movies ever list or something but we're gonna do we're gonna have a fun episode for the end of your week What a glowing preparation. Just getting that that heightened, heightened expectation. But yeah, you're dragging me kicking and screaming on this one, especially. Yeah, well, we've talked about it too much and I share your uh, pessimism with this one, as I do most things in life. But guys, when reality sucks and even when some of the movies you review might, uh, (laughs) you can come hang out and hopefully share some laughs with us. We are Mike, Mike and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.